you are out now um, and there'll be space if you're standing at the back and you're worried about coming in there's lots of beautiful space here as I said Dan did shower this morning before he drove here from Marandera so I promise it smells good here Sean I'm not sure if he did but uh, I'm sure this side is great as well you know the newlyweds Trev and Sue there's space in front of them they will happily welcome you in so don't be shy you're welcome to do that Thanks so much, uh, Mike and the team. Yes, don't be shy. Come in, front rows, there's lots of great space here. The patrols, I mean, come on, it's your time to shine. Front rows, it's got to be done. It has to be, well done. You don't mind if I single you guys out, so it's fine. Not at all, excellent, there we go. Brilliant, and if anyone else is shy, you're welcome. Anytime, come and open this up here. We might even give you a standing ovation. Um, it's just so funny you know like music concerts and sports games I mean we just want to have like front row seats to what's happening and we want it's the most expensive seats but usually in church it's the most empty seats um, we suddenly get nervous when it becomes a, a faith issue in our lives so never be shy here you're always welcome there's no special seats uh, so today I wanted to do a one-off. Next Sunday we have another seven series Sunday. Three people preaching seven minutes. I can't wait. Then we have our Christmas services. Today I want to speak on the humility of Jesus and what that means and what that means for each of us. And there's a series, I don't know how many of you have watched it, called The Secret Millionaire. Anyone watched it before? See one or two? It's an older series. Anybody? One. Charlie Cannings. Well done. Kirk. Like a few brave ones putting hands up. Anyway, for those of you who've never watched uh, The Secret Millionaire, uh, basically a wealthy person, a millionaire, they, uh, and they obviously probably make more money actually out of the back of being part of the series. But anyway, they step into an impoverished area near them or somewhere around the country where they live. The series has done England and Ireland, Australia and America. So they step into this undercover. And so there's obviously a film crew, and so it's a little bit dodgy, but basically, basically the film crew tells everyone there that they're just filming a random documentary about different people's lives and, and those sorts of things. So tell a bit of a story to get in it. And so these people live on the poverty line for one week. So they basically feel what it's like for people not in a position where they are to live on $150 a week, which is still way more than most people here live on anyway. But for them, it's a huge step down. So they live like that. And while they do that, their goal on the show is to find different organizations doing amazing work. And they get stuck in and they serve and they find out about the people and their lives. And at the end of the week, they sort of come out with who they really are and they donate to different charities that they believe in kind of the life of the secret millionaire and so yes there's sort of a little bit of skullduggery and hiding themselves but I, I on the whole as you watch it I think it's pretty healthy there's these wealthy people who now have an understanding of people living in a different context to them people who are really serving faithfully in organizations usually have money given to them some sort of generosity and so there's, there's also we can learn in terms of humility service generosity and so today I want to look at the humility, generosity, and servant heart of Jesus stepping into our world. He isn't a secret millionaire. He's the king of all, and we aren't just people in need of some extra cash, 
for our daily lives or for our organization, we need a life change that only he can bring. And so as we get full swing into Christmas festivities, and I don't know about you guys, anybody's tree not up yet, not up. This is if your tree is not up. Can you guys come for prayer afterwards? Um, we just need to solve a few problems in your life there because we know that the tree is essential. We'll, we'll pray it out of you guys so next year you do better. But um, Jesus is full of grace and he forgives you anyway. Um, but anyway, we are full swing into these Christmas festivities and uh, we have been going all out with different Advent readings and opening books. And my wife, I don't know if I shared this last week, but she rocks the party and got me a Haribo, Haribo Advent calendar for myself. So I have been living large. It's amazing. Exactly. If Sarah was here, I should be getting a standing ovation as well, but uh, she's teaching kids. So I want to journey through a short passage in Philippians as we run into Christmas and there's all the festivities and gifts and all those things that we're thinking about. And this letter was written by Paul to the church in Philippi. And he gets to this part in Philippians 2, which really gives us this glimpse into Jesus's character, into Jesus's heart. And so if you're exploring faith today, if you're not sure where you stand when it comes to God, maybe you think that I'm quite a good person and there's a big guy in the sky or maybe you have no interest in faith but you've come because a family member told you you should come or whatever reason it is i trust you'll get a glimpse into jesus christ today and you have a real picture from scripture of who he is what he came to do what he's like what you can learn from him and so let's set aside distractions let's open ourselves up to hear from god whether we believe he exists yet or not and let's be prepared for him to come because he's here we had the most special prayer time. Anyone's welcome, 8.30 to 8.45 in the library. And there was just such a sense of God. He just came and we sang and we prayed. It was special. We kind of were saying, should we actually go to the service? We sort of wanted to stay in the room. It was a really profound time. And I, I sense the same here. He's here. He's with us. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians 2. Uh, it's towards the end of your Bibles. If you don't, it will be on the screen. Funny enough, the way I always remembered where Philippians was, you go Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then if you just say, go eat popcorn, it helps you with Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And if you want to add Colossians, you can say, go eat popcorn cheerfully or something like that. But go eat popcorn is what we were told, um, and it was just, I've never forgotten, so now I just always know. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, go eat popcorn, and I find Philippians. So that's where I find it. And so Paul has just written to the Philippian church about the advance of God's kingdom that's unstoppable. And he's then spoken about how to him, living on earth is all about Christ. And if he dies, it's a gain for all eternity. So Philippians 1.21, one of my favorites of all time is uh, to live as Christ, to die as gain. He's spoken on that. And then he comes on the back of that too. But why is to live as Christ, die as gain? Who is this Jesus? And so he says here, Philippians 2 verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, showing about all the things we can receive as Christ followers, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so this is setting the scene. It's talking a bit about what do we receive as Christ followers and what should our attitude and actions be as Christ followers. 
And then he's going to come to the, the key part. So what are some of the things we experience? And, and we love experiencing this at, at Hope Church. Encouragement from Jesus and from each other. Comfort when things are difficult. The presence and power of God. It says any participation in the Spirit. And so we receive that. It says affection and sympathy from each other on a deep level. The Christian faith and church life should be one of the things that bridges demographics, wealth, color of our skin. It should bridge all of that. Why? Because of Christ, because he bridged everything for us. Joy, common mission for Christ, where he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. And so he says, he says these are all things we can experience and receive as Christ follows. If you're after joy today, you know, joy is very different to happiness. Joy is an experience of contentment outside of circumstance. Happiness is reliant on circumstance. And so that's one of the things that we can experience from him. But if you're here after comfort, sorry, is it buzzing? Should I move? Hey, maybe if I come forward and fall over backwards, that would have been brilliant actually. And on camera, I just can't repeat it. So he talks about these experiences that we can have. And then he says, what are the attitudes and actions that happen as a result of that? And this is where he says, then on the back of that, because of what God's given you, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So as we encounter God and he changes our heart and we see what he's done for us, we start to outwork that in our lives, thinking of other people before ourselves. And in this world, that's rare. It's very rare for people to think outside of our own personal comfort zones. Yes, our family, so we'll care about our families, but beyond those borders, it changes. It's something that I struggle with. I'm certain we all do. Usually when we're tired, or maybe when work isn't going so well, or when someone has let us down, that's when it's really hard to think of other people instead of ourselves. But that's the aim of every Christ follower, to count others as more significant than ourselves. And so we look at this. That's it, Paul says, that's the primary way you can see if God's working in your heart. You're thinking about other people rather than yourself. But why? And where does it all come from? He then shows us how we can receive the rich, fulfilling life and live the upside down, humble kind of way. He says, verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So yours in Christ Jesus, it means that we look to Jesus both to receive and to help us to live, but we can only do this in Christ Jesus. And so the next verses six to 10 that we're gonna dive into, they're often called the hymn of Christ. What a beautiful name, the hymn of Christ. And Paul might be drawing actually from different sources of hymns. So taking from different ones as he writes this down, but he combines them into a beautiful hymn. I think it's one of the most powerful messages of who Jesus is. And so as we go through it, just take in who he is. Take in today, we can easily brush over passages. We can, we can get carried away in everything else that happens over Christmas and family arriving from overseas or us traveling to go and see family. Well, we can get carried away, but let's, let's get down to the true priorities of who Jesus is. Let him speak to you today because the king is here. So it starts off verse six, talking about this Jesus who, this Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now this Greek word form of God, it doesn't mean he's a type of God. That Greek word actually means the exact identical nature of someone. It means true and exact nature of something, that Greek word. And so when it says God, there's the form of God, it's saying Jesus 
is God. And as Christ follows, that's what we believe in. We believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and the Spirit. One God, eternally existing in three persons. All one God, but unique persons. And it should blow our minds. It should blow our minds a little bit. We were chatting to our girls the other day, and they were saying, so, so Dad, who should we be praying to? You know, do we pray to the Father? Do we pray to Jesus? I mean, must we invite the Holy Spirit? I mean, it was just so sweet. We're having this chat. We were saying, actually, God doesn't mind. He represents himself in, in, in three unique persons. And so we don't really need to get caught up on it. But we have so many references in Scripture to us being able to pray to the different persons of the Godhead. And it's so incredibly special. Look at this John 1 verse 1 to 3 showing Jesus being fully God. In the beginning was the Word, which is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so Jesus is fully God. God's Son, fully and completely God. So special to grip. Not only does say that, but it says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped being God to hang on to. He didn't feel the urge to rule with power and authority at all costs, as many rulers around the world try to do today. He didn't use his position to exploit people for his gain. He was prepared to release it. Jesus held his authority as God lightly to give up the position if it was required. That's not something that we see often around us, an open-handed, peaceful perspective on leadership, servant leadership. It's not often something that we see around the world. It shocks us when we do. So that's, that's Jesus. And then verse seven, look what it says. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So you see, as sin enters the world, God outworks his eternal plan to set the world free once and all from the power of sin. Sin that we couldn't set ourselves free from. No matter how much you and I try harder, we're never gonna solve the problem of sin. And so God himself comes, God in the flesh, he steps into our world. But look where it says, he made himself nothing. So he went from the pinnacle of greatness, the God who created everything that we see, and how did he make himself nothing? How did the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who is the beginning and the end, the one who knows the number of hairs on your head and mine, how did he humble himself? How did he become nothing? It's easier for him to count the number of hairs on my head than yours, by the way. Um, that's okay. The one who knows the date of our birth from before the world began and knows the day that each one of us will die. It's amazing to think that he planned, whether you're Christ follower here or not today, I know that he planned your life, your birth date from before the foundation of the world and he knows your exact death date. He knows that for each of us. Nothing takes him by surprise in your life and mine. He literally holds the world together from moving into complete chaos. And he comes to level zero. He gives up supernatural life, supernatural life and comfort to enter our world. He becomes like the ones he created. And if I was God, I would have chosen a slightly more upbeat, upscale way of entering the world. You know, for, for me, if I was, I would still step down from supernatural, you know, kingdom, but I probably wouldn't have stepped as low. You know, so like those secret millionaires, maybe just for a week or maybe just, you know, part of life, but not quite as low as he did. He could have been born as an earthly king or he could have stepped low and said, well, I'm just going to be part of a wealthy family somewhere in the world. That's how I'm going to come. I'm going to have comfort and those sorts of things, but I won't be absolutely over the top. So he could have done that, but he comes as 
a servant, taking the form of a servant. No pomp, no fanfare, just humility. The king who created everything comes as a servant. It blows our minds. And honestly, I think if Jesus was here now, I don't think we would see him in the northern suburbs. If we contrast how he came, who he associated with, and where he lived, I don't think it would be the northern suburbs. I really don't. I think high density, maybe. And he might have come to visit the likes of Zacchaeus. Some of you might know the story, a tax collector, or some of the Pharisees. He might have, you know, traveled on a commuter into, you know, the northern suburbs, met a, met a coffee shop, or maybe got invited or invited himself to Borodell Brook. He didn't stay there. He wouldn't have lived there. So it's a huge challenge for us to just see the kind of humility that he had. He wouldn't be rolling to the village regularly, heading on uh, lavish holidays all over the place. I heard the most horrific words the other day. Someone was saying, and they were trying to use this to justify a brand new Learjet that they wanted to get for their ministry. And so they said, you know, if Jesus was here, he would most definitely have had a Learjet. Most definitely. Because if he came now, he would have needed to travel the globe and get everywhere like I do. And so that's why I need a Learjet because he had it. I mean, just, just horrific words. But Jesus didn't even have a wagon or a caravan. He walked. In his day, an average vehicle, yes, he went sometimes on a, on, on a donkey. That would have kind of been average that some people would have had. The real luxurious, they would have had chariots that took them to different places. They would have sat in wagons drawn. He didn't even have that. He chose absolute humility. He could have had those things. He could have lived in luxury. What rulers and kings had of his day, but he chose not to. Instead, he walked. He wanted to identify with everyone. If he was here now, he would have wanted someone living in Mbari, in Epworth, in Chittanguiza to go, do you know what? This man is like me. This man has come down to my level and he loves me. That's how he came. And he did that purposefully. That's the God that we serve. His associations were from normal life positions, fishermen, sellers on the side of the road. Beware of anyone telling you that Jesus came in any other way with, or with any other purpose. He wanted to identify with everyone. See, just because someone's on YouTube or has a mass following, it doesn't mean that they're telling you about Jesus and what he was like. It has to come out of Scripture. So check everything with Scripture. Check what I say. Check what anyone from here says from Scripture. But that's what I see when it says he made himself nothing. That's what I see when I look at that. He became a servant. He came being born to a young teenage girl and his surrogate dad, a humble carpenter, nothing of significance, not even a proper place to be born. And that was no accident either. He could have been born anyway. He wanted to demonstrate the humility that he had. And then it says here, he came born, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He submitted himself to the constraints of us as people. The people he had created, he transferred from supernatural state to our state. So he took on the frailty of man. Mary would have had to change his nappies. They didn't have fancy nappies then, um, so it wouldn't have been as, as nice. But, but, but let's get real for a minute. That's how he came. The king of everything came as a baby needing his nappy changed by his mom, Mary. That's how he came. When he's a baby, he wasn't thinking like God at six months old. You know, we've got lots of babies here and he wasn't able to think and compute. He submitted himself even to brain development. So yes, he was a wise beyond his years at 12, but he wasn't operating like a 30-year-old when he was six months old. 
And he wasn't one of these weird babies sitting there and you're suddenly talking to them and they're suddenly talking back to you like an adult. No, he was a baby. He was like us in every form. He submitted to brain growth. But how amazing in, in an eternal sense, he was never born as well. He, was there, he just was. He was there before the foundation of the world, but yet he chooses to come and be born on earth. He may have had acne. He would have stubbed his toe. Scripture says there was nothing fancy about his appearance. He was not a supermodel. You could miss him in the street. Everyday average guy. No plastic surgery to hide the wrinkles. Tummy bugs. He got tired. He got hungry. He didn't suddenly click his fingers when he needed food or not have to work because just would have worked in his carpenter shop with his dad. His body didn't instantly heal up like a superhero. You know, like tripping the... He became like us in every way. If he was not like us, he would never be able to stay to that in scripture. And everyone would have been going like, but yeah, Jesus, we can't really identify with you because you weren't the same as us. No, he submitted himself to hum human constraints. Could he heal himself? Yes. Did he heal people? Yes. But was he free from any of those things like everybody else? No. Like us in every way. Just like you and me, but without sin. That's the one difference. The one difference without sin. Can you imagine raising a child who never disobeys? I mean, parents, can you imagine that? Raising a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old. I mean, I was very close to that, maybe like 98%, so it was easy for my folks. Can you imagine raising a child who never does anything wrong? A teenager who never, ever pushes the limits. Would have been astounding for Mary. We think Joseph died pretty young. So Mary probably single parenting for a long time. That would have been the one big difference. It must have been incredible to see. I mean, stubbing his toe and not swearing. It would have been, you know, all his friends would have been like, you know, <laughs> what to say? It's just, it's amazing to comprehend someone in perfection without sin. I love this passage. It shows his heart. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He became poor in every sense. He became poor in a real sense. He became poor in emotional sense compared to heaven. He became poor in a body sense compared to it. Poor in every sense. Why? So that if we would receive him, we might become rich for all eternity. He became a Jewish baby later bound to a cross so that we might be born as sons and daughters of the king and instead of being bound to a cross, get bound to him for all eternity. Amazing. It's the kind of God that I wanna follow. Not a God who separates himself from me, not a God I can never please, but a God who steps down into my world. Verse eight, he doesn't stop there at how he came. Verse eight, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is interesting, you notice it says human form. First it said form of God, which means identically the same. Here the word schema, um, which is used for human form, which is different to morphe, which was used for form of God. This word schema, what's so interesting with it, it talks about being identical in external appearance. So when, when it's being quoted first, it's saying Jesus is God. Jesus is completely God. When it comes here to he being found in human form as a person, he was like us identically as a human, 
but inside he was free from sin. So he had a different human form because he was free from sin in that context. Amazing where the richness you get in the different languages. He didn't take our sinful nature. He was absolutely perfect. And then not only the humility of coming to earth, but Jesus had a mission to complete. He was here for a purpose. Jesus, what we celebrate at Christmas, we're really looking ahead towards Easter. So we come and we celebrate, but what should always be in our minds is where at Christmas is, but why did he come? It's because of Easter. He came to die. That was his purpose in coming, to die for your sin and mine, to pay the price of sin that separates us from a perfect God so that we can have forgiveness and relationship now and for all eternity. So it took humility to come. Can you imagine the humility of allowing yourself to be killed by your own creations that you could stop them killing you instantly? So to go through the most horrific death, but being able to turn it off at that moment. And he said that on the cross, when the soldiers and the people around were saying, you know, if you're the king of kings, just take yourself off this cross. And he was like, I could actually call anyone, legions of angels right now to remove me instantly, to wipe you guys out. But I'm here for a purpose. And I'm here because I love you. I mean, that's, that's some serious humility. He was obedient to death. He obeyed his father on the road to the cross. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the time to die came close, look at what he said. Verse 41, Luke 22, verse 41. And he withdrew from them, his friends, his disciples, about a stone's throw. He knelt down and he prayed. And look at what he says. So God completely, but also this Godhead, praying to his father, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, this death that's about to come. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When we're going through tough things in life, we need to model what Jesus prayed. Lord Jesus, please take me out of this, but I wanna make sure that I'm on your path and not my own. That was Jesus's. Jesus could have short-circuited what God was doing immediately, anytime, but he chose to honor his dad. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood, which can happen. Our blood vessels can actually pop on our foreheads and our sweat can be mixed with blood falling to the ground. You see the utter human godness in this action. Although Jesus knew this was the culmination of why he came, and he would have put this to the back of his mind. Can you imagine knowing the cross was coming and doing ministry, chatting with your friends, relaxing with your mom, but all the time in the back of your mind knowing exactly what was to come? Because he did know everything, but he submitted to the story of it. He knew the pain that was to come because he felt pain, because he could get cut, because he bled, because he suffered like us. He knew what was to come, but he did it anyway. He went far further than being a servant. He was an obedient servant. He obeyed his dad, not because he had to. He's God after all, but because he chose to. And death on a cross, I mean, we often look at this more at Easter, but it was the worst kind of death. It was public. It was seen by thousands of witnesses. It was the ultimate indignity, naked, whipped, bleeding, marched through a street, nails smashed through, nerve endings, struggling for breath. It was developed by the Persians. It was perfected by the Romans. The Romans always perfected everything. Roads, you know, they perfected buildings, you know, did aqueducts. They perfected punishment. So they learned all the lessons they could from the Persians. And they're like, how can we make this even more painful than the Persians? So that's what crucifixion was for. How do we inflict the most pain and humiliation? And this King Jesus went through that 
for you and for me. You know, the cross is the polar opposite to the kingship of Christ. If you imagine the glory of being King Jesus in heaven, being executed on a cross is the extreme of human indignity. And he chose to do the absolute extreme for us. Interesting enough, I believe the timing and history of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection was also perfect. It would be because it's Jesus. But I don't know if you thought about this. It was pre-digital footage, so it was pre-digital hype, social media hype. Can you imagine him doing the miracles and the way that he did with film crews around and you know people trying to film on their cameras? It would have been absolute chaos. But he chose to come at a time where people knew how to write and could make notes. There was enough witnesses witnessing all that happened, but it didn't get so out of hand with the digital age. I think it was actually perfectly timed how he did it. The reason for AD and BC, there was enough knowledge in the Roman Empire and world's dating systems to date the world from him. People who don't believe in Christ now have changed it to BCE, before the Christian era. And so that's what people have done now, but they still date it from Jesus' life and death. Friends, Jesus is the image of God. If you want to know what God is like, his character, his purpose for your life, look at Jesus. Look at how he lived. Look at how he loved. Look at how he carried himself. That's our role model. So if anyone teaches you a different role model to the Christian life that's opposite to how Jesus lived and how he operated, then it's not the Jesus from Scripture. And so if you're sitting here and saying, God's let me down. I've been hurt by God. I've been hurt by by the church. Look at Jesus. Look at him. Look at what he did for you and I on the cross. Look at the extent that he went to for us. And then we won't doubt the love that he has for us. Verse 9. Almost done. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed or placed on him the name that is above every name. By him submitting, he showed that he was the God of love. By him loving us, he showed it. 1 John 4 verse 8 to 10. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The very definition, the essence of love is God. In this, the love of God was made manifest, was brought towards us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, not that it rests on us, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment, the acceptable payment for our sin. If you're ever questioning whether God loves you, no matter what you've been through in life, and I have no doubt in this room, and I know some of your stories, painful stories, difficult stories, hard stories in the broken world in which we live, I want you to know Jesus still loves you. He still cares, and he proved it, and he'll keep proving it to you. But look at the result of a servant heart and obedience. His fatherhood overseen with heartbreak the pain and suffering of his son. Knowing there was no other way to save his creations. Acting as a God in love, God raised him yet again to rule over the cosmos. Look what it says here. Placed on him the name that is above every name. He honors his son Jesus and gives him the name that's above every name. You know, people aren't exactly sure what name it is. But most scholars think it is the name Yahweh. That when we look through scripture, that's the name God was giving Jesus to say, you are exactly equal to me. There's power in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. There's power in it. We shared a bit on that last week. But looking at scripture and scholars, many believe that what what God was saying, what he's been saying through scripture is that actually Jesus now 
that you've died and you've rose again, you get the same name as the Father. That name Yahweh often written Y-H-W-H because the Jewish people were too scared to put the vowels and actually say it because of what might happen. That was the holiness of God. So we believe the name Jesus was given as he was raised from the dead. The name reserved previously just for the Father, now given to the Son, the name above every name. Jerislav Pelikan, a great uh, speaker, theologian, look at what he said, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries, over 20 centuries now. It is from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars. It's by his name that millions curse, and it's in his name that millions pray. It really is the name above every name. Last one before we pray, verse 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This phrase at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow is thought to have come from Isaiah 45. It says in Isaiah 45, 23 to 24, to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord, it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. And so again, this phrasing was used exclusively for Yahweh, for the Father. And now it's been turned around from Jesus' obedience and being raised to life again. It's now being said of him that every knee will bow. Because why? He's been given the name that's above every name. Just upon hearing his name, we should all bow. We should all bend the knee in allegiance to the king. a recognition that he's royalty, that he's other to us. Why do people bow to a queen or a king? It's a recognition that they have a position of otherness to us. Not even an earned position. They've been born with it, they've inherited it, but it's a position that deserves our respect and our honor. Yes, they're human like us, but it feels that there's a bit of a difference. At least to me it does. Jesus came as a man, but he was so very supernaturally different, above every earthly king, queen, and ruler. And so we should bow the knee to him in our hearts, with our lives, sometimes physically to bow the knee to the king. There's no one like him. And in your life and mine, everything that we're pursuing to find joy and peace that is not him will fail. Everything. Every avenue we take to pursue contentment and significance that's not Christ will fail. It'll leave us empty. It'll be the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that we never quite reach. And so we keep trying. We try in different avenues and we try with different parties on the evenings. We try with different substances. Uh, we try with different relationships. We try with different success and status. And there's the next one and there's the next one and there's the next one. But it just doesn't quite reach it. It doesn't quite get there. He's Lord, he's glorious, he's the one that we're all after, whether we believe it or not. And maybe just maybe today will be the first time for one of you to actually confess what it says there and to confess where it says, and every tongue confess that Jesus wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a man, but that he is Lord and King. If you do that, it will change everything in your life. And what does Jesus do as the close off in his life and death? He gives glory and honor to the Father who's given it to him, this beautiful cycle of God, 
of love and submission, of respect and of honor. Jesus is matchless in every way, in every way. So I'd love us to just, maybe let's just stand together. Let's just look on him for a short bit. Let's just stand. Um, I'd love us as we close to just to just look upon him. Maybe you've had a different picture. You can close your eyes. You can keep them open if you want. Whatever helps you to concentrate. But whatever picture you've had of Christ, let what we've looked at in Scripture just filter through your heart and spirit. Just think on a God who created everything, who holds this world in the palm of his hand. But he stepped down in beautiful, uncomprehendable humility to not live a fancy life, to live an everyday, ordinary, identifiable life, to go through the things we go through, to go through the trials that we go through, the struggles, the emotions, the frailty, and then to die in our place so that we might be acceptable. To die is the ultimate sacrifice so we get to have relationship with God. We might say, is it really fair? Did someone really have to die? Well, it's because usually we think we're pretty good, but it's because we're comparing ourselves to people on earth, not to a perfect God. If you've never confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died and he rose again for your sin, if you've never asked him to, if you've never said, Lord, I believe that's what you did, you paid the price for my sin. You can do that now. I might ask you to just do a bold step. No one's looking around, everyone's got their eyes closed, but if you've never acknowledged that Jesus is King, if you've never invited Him to, to change you, if you've never asked Him to forgive you of your brokenness and to make you new, to make you right with God, I'd love for you to raise your hand boldly and just say, that's me. No one's looking around. It's just a sign I can, I can look around and, and I can see, but no one else is looking. Just say, yep, that's me. I, I want a new life. <laughs> I, I, I want to know that I have a relationship with God now and that heaven is home and will be home forever. And if that's you, I'd love for you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. I was looking around at all. A few hands that have popped up. So exciting. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, you can put your hands down again. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's not about anything fancy or saying anything fancy. Those of you who raised your hands, maybe a little bit shy. It's as much as you saying under your breath, whispering right now, you know, saying out loud. It's just saying, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the King of Kings. Thank you for stepping into my world and dying for me on the cross. Please change me. Make me a new person. Save me from the inside out. And right now in this moment, as you say that, as you think it, as you believe that, he changes you. And you'll know that he's changed you because you'll suddenly want to live for him. You'll suddenly want to follow him. You won't really be able to describe it, but you'll just want to learn and grow. So thank you, Lord, for doing that. For the rest of us, Lord Jesus, I pray that right now you would give us a picture of who you are, that it would change every aspect of our lives, that everything would pale in comparison to living for the King, 
that you would save us from wasted lives, save us from earthly pursuits, save us from wasting resources, time, giftings, abilities on things that mean nothing for all eternity. Give us a picture in our daily lives of using our jobs, using our giftings, using our resources, using what we have before us, our time, even if we don't think we have anything to offer. Pray that you would, you would show us that we can just do those things in an awareness of you for your kingdom. It changes everything. It becomes valuable, Lord Jesus. Driving to work can be a valuable experience as we talk to you, think of who we could pray for on the way leading businesses, working in an office, the way that we do that, thinking of others before ourselves, it can point people to you. What we do with all our lives, Father, would you show us things, show us things in our hearts that, that aren't pleasing to you, that are holding us back from living sold out. Would we be a people who just don't waste moments, don't waste hours, don't waste days. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. It's such a privilege having you at Hope Church, being part of what God's doing. If you're still exploring faith, we've got these brilliant booklets at the back called Making the Connection. I'd love you to take one with you, just introducing you to what it means to follow Jesus and keep asking questions. We've got Alpha courses coming up next year. And otherwise, if you're looking for places to serve, to connect in connect groups, to, to give of your resources uh, or, or anything else like that, there's people at the back to help. But otherwise, uh, look forward to seeing you next week, 22nd and 23rd. Sign up, get your tickets, and otherwise have a brilliant Sunday. Thanks so much.